This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is, if I would have only known, a candid conversation with leaders. In this series, we discuss brigade combat team warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hey, uh, Colonel Matt Hardman, Commander of Operations Group. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, we've got him back. Uh, Devil Six, the infamous uh, Colonel Teddy Kleisner, uh, just got done uh, beating the dreaded Tarikans here in Arnland, uh, JRTC rotation. Uh, his second rotation is a brigade commander. Um, and uh, awesome having you back. Um, Great being here. Yeah, different weather than last time yeah, we were here. Completely different circumstances. For yeah, sure. I would. I remember. Uh, I think everyone has this feeling when you jump, and you're on Geronimo drop zone, and you're just got done packing up your chute. The next thing that crosses your mind isn't where's my assembly, or it's man, 14 days is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are on the 15th day. Yeah. And um, so it's it's a good place to start. So we we uh, we were able to do an airborne assault with the brigade, yeah. Um, and a bunch of air lands, including uh, air landing a, uh, a mech tank team from Rock of the Marne. Uh, this rotation had everything. Uh, we had we had tanks. We had Japanese ground yeah. self defense force. Right. Uh, we had we had Dutch air assault <clears throat> company. Um, yeah, it was. Uh... I don't, I don't think we could have packed anything else into the task org. It was a robust task org. And, it, um, and, and to enter, enter into the box through a, using our, the 82nd Airborne Division's JFE playbook was pretty interesting, right? Trying to figure out how we're going to um, PVL all that in over time, right? When do you want the JGSDF? You know, the Japanese company was a strong, potent company. And we wanted them early, but that's a lot of lift. So the conversation we had last time about the PVL, like it all came back to that. Like, when do you want them in? You know, the Dutch were a different, um, different problem to solve because most they're paratroopers, right? So getting them in is a lot easier and they didn't have that much, but the JGSDF was huge and they brought a lot to the fight. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then obviously getting the, uh, mech tank team in team Kronos. That's right. Yeah. So. Yeah. We, so we knew that was going to be tough, right? One C-17 per M1. Um, but the sweet spot was, but if you don't get them here in time to defend, then you know, the, what's the point of bringing them, right? We, we, knew that's, we knew that we could incorporate them into the defense. Incorporating them into the offense was going to be a lot harder. So we made sure that the PVO kind of kept that into account. Yeah. So we, uh, we did an airborne assault. Um, secured the airhead line, transitioned to a defense, yeah. uh, transitioned uh, out of the defense into an attack um, based on conditions with friendly forces and enemy transition into a hasty defense and then some limited counterattack. I like to, I like to describe it the other way around. We, <laughs> we air, airborne assaulted into a transition. And then we defended into a transition so we could attack into another transition, right? <laughs> because like that, 
that is where we continue to learn, right? You mentioned it the second time here, second time being frustrated by similar issues. I, you know, I think we did better in the transitions in some respects, uh, but they're just so tough, right? Anyone can attack, anyone can defend. I really believe that, but it's really hard to transition. Yeah. I think the open phasing system, they're the construct that you have now. It makes it harder, but it should make it harder. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking earlier. It, you know, I did two rotations as a battalion commander and now two as a brigade commander. I've never slept less <laughs> than in this rotation. I think the open phasing was part of that, right? Because if, we're, if you're really not accounting for these transitions and budgeting the division of labor in your command group in the sleep, like you're, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. We learned that the hard way on the first transition for sure. Well, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll unpack some of this, um, you know, up front, like for everybody out there watching, uh, in the universe. Um, I mean, this is a great rotation. Um, you know, a lot of great fights at the platoon company level, aggregated some of those into battalion wins, aggregated some of the battalion wins into some brigade wins. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's designed to hurt, right? Yeah. And, you know, we, we delivered. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, but but not for a lack of of real excellence. And and I think this you know unpacking some of that. And you know you and you and I have talked about this in the past. I mean, the evolution of this place, particularly in the last few years, uh, to f focus on large scale combat operations. Right. You know, I I came in with a view of really trying to make stark risk and opportunity for commanders and decision making. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, an emphasis, um, you know, from from lots of leaders right now in the army of, of exactly what you described this. How, how do we fight through these transitions? Yeah. Um, and a lot going on in our army from a modernization standpoint, FM 3 uh, new new FM three O out uh, division is a, a principal tactical formation uh, going forward. Yeah, and uh, and fighting the brigade is part of a tactical construct. We got to give hey, we got to give a shout out to Andy Kaiser, uh, Task Force Mountain Warrior. That's right. Uh, on my left flank the whole time. On yeah. left flank the whole time from yeah. Fort Carson. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean I'm near daily dialogues, kind of understanding. Uh, what he was going through and what we were going through and how they would impact each other, you know, and then task force ACE on our right flank providing fires to us was a pretty interesting ad too. Yeah. And, and our fires team was able, actually able to make that happen. It's pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say a first cause we tend to do that a lot at the CTCs, but definitely a noticeable, uh, doing a, uh, constructive brigade providing, uh, virtual fires, uh, to, yeah a live brigade in the dirt to include a full technical rehearsal with those fires. I thought it was, yeah, it was pretty neat. Yeah, it was. It, so what I remember last time is the interaction with sister brigades in the division occurred a lot in the targeting meetings, or is it, I think it was the targeting board to the division commander. Um, and now it's taking place in the commander's update briefs. And so now the, now the, the dialogue between commanders actually makes more sense and it's easier to kind of see where you nest um, in a bigger division construct, um, and, and when it's appropriate to ask for assets and support and when it's not. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah, <clears throat> I'm thinking back to one of the, the, uh, update briefs we did 
and you're hearing about like what's happening adjacent. And I know I could tell in your voice like you wanted resources, but you knew you weren't in a place to ask yeah. given like where well, the, else I think was. the one thing that every commander's waiting on is like, which one of these sister commanders is gonna report that he got hit with Cam? Right? Cause it because then you're like, oh here we go. <laughs> it's gonna start any day now. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, and I'll make sure that you have the phone number so you can dial in in the in uh Colonel Kleisner. Uh, uh, task Force Mountain Warriors rotation that'll be here in mm. January, mm -hmm. uh, which will be a lot of fun. You'll have to do like a guest, Kaiser, yeah. a guest call to uh, to Andy. <laughs> um, not often that we're able to get a brigade. Uh, brigade commander gets to come twice, right? And a yeah. number of your leaders got to come twice. So it was significant turnover in the brigade. But you had a number that got to come back here and do it again. Uh, and not often that we get to do it um, honor about a year, a little bit more, but but pretty close to a year removed. Um, which I think is like real opportunities uh, for an organization to kind of see itself and, and grow. Where where are the areas you think the the devil grade made the most growth in the yeah. last, you know, 15 months? Communications is number one. It, nothing else is even close. <laughs> Um, we, we came back from the last rotation. It was a humbling rotation. Um, but one of the first things that we all concurred with was if we do anything between now and whatever's next, we will get our combo straight. And I was, I was fearful that we were going to say that and forget that. And we kind of did. But as, you know, as we transitioned into the IRF-2, which in the 82nd Airborne Division is the intensive training cycle, um, we had done just enough comexing to kind of get started on the right foot. Um, and we, you know, with the ITN and the legacy systems, I feel like we got to where I almost never, I almost always could grab a hand mic and talk to almost all the commanders on a voice system, which is... Which was not the experience I had in my rotation. And it was, and it was the opposite commander. of my last one, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it was unbelievably frustrating. Commanders that can't talk, <laughs> it's like you've tied their hands behind their backs. But commanders that can talk, like they could – when commanders can talk, they can do anything. Yeah. Right? You can, you can athlete your way to success if you can communicate. You don't stand a chance if you can't. So we made a lot of headway there. And um, unlike – a lot of my normal technique is to sort of like roll my sleeves up and get in to the weeds and help carry us, uh, you know, through the solution. And in this case, it's like just straight up blunt force and trauma. Like S6, we better be able to communicate. The only thing I probably did myself is, in a, is a couple of comexes where I made sure that the commanders were in the comexes running the comex. But I just, I just sort of said like, hey, this is the expectation. And though the, the um, the fortune you have as a brigade commander is you've got staff primaries that aren't doing this for the first time. Yeah. So you can give that blunt force and trauma guidance and just say, hey, Devil 2A, you know the expectation, right? Yeah. I'm not saying I was hazing the guy, but he got it done. Um, he's a, well, he had a smile on his face. He's an excellent officer. Yeah, yeah, great officer. Yeah. Uh, delete um, that out of the, uh, out of the podcast because he and I have a bet going. <laughs> the... Uh, and your your point is different at the battalion level. Like, yeah, uh, you know, grassroots uh, communication with a lot of first time folks. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of work. Yeah, and honestly, you know, 
you have a fairly seasoned Brigade S4, Brigade S1, Brigade S6, you name it, right? They can all sort of work across the battalion enterprise as sort of this feudal system or this pickup game of enterprise leaders. The way that communications is working these days, especially with ITN, is the S6 enterprise has to be a monarchy. The S6 has to centralize and drive that enterprise. It's not like the way maybe the fours can sort of, or the heirs, they're all part of this pool of talent that gets things done. Like if Camo doesn't start from the top and it's not centralized, it, it will be problematic. Yeah, I mean, I actually <laughs> tend to think in a lot of the warfighting functions, uh, you know, as we focus on LISCO, that I mean, that's just a yeah. a difficult changed reality. Of, You're right. Right. Got to drive. Add the things. division context to this. Yeah. Every yeah. And I mean, we're going there with command posts, right? Like yeah. so, you know, for the uh, dismounted assault command posts, the brigades, the brigade, the battalions, all fighting off the same products, the same tools, the same structure, really being driven by the division. Yep. Um, which, you know, not to take anything away from the rest of the, the rotation of the command posts, you know, from my perspective, that was the most successful C2 portion. Ironically, I mean, dismounted yeah. under ponchos, really, really effective, clearly had practiced that a yeah. lot. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, our, our tack, what we have to continue to learn in attack is why is it going out? And how does that drive who goes? And how does that drive how long it stays out? Because the IT in the tech is not the problem anymore. It's We're back to figuring out the human side of this. Yeah. Who's in it and, and for what? Um, the In our tech's combo now is as capable as our main command post. We just can't plan and we can't run 24-hour ops. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, and I mean, going out and looking at the battalions, I was very jealous. Um, at the capabilities, you know, at the battalion level. And I mean, yeah. I, th I think, you know, many of us anticipated that now <clears throat> the transition is, you know, we've got some better communications equipment. Um, now we got to catch up on the, yeah. the, really the the form part of this and the function from a human being perspective versus right. the technical part. Let me ask you a question, because yeah. what we did that was new this time is, we knew that after the GFE, we wanted to occupy the urban area um, established command posts in Deboise, um, which apparently is the, the right way to say that. If you have any class. <laughs> That's right. So at one point there were five command posts. So an infantry battalion, the engineer battalion, the artillery battalion, the BSB, and the main command post for the brigade were all in buildings in Deboise. Um, we wanted to do that because we were inspired by some of the TTPs that Ukrainians are using for survivability purposes. Um, we found that, you know, working in the structures, um, like the talk floor may not be, the feng shui may not be perfect, but we love the protection of it. What we did not like is like the, the massing of vehicles in the urban area and the way that signature was hard to hide. But like, what did the ops group, like what, what is y'all's assessment of that? Because I'm not sure we can call it success or failure. It just it was an experiment. I think it, yeah, learning experience. So, yeah. I mean, I think as we evolve, continue to evolve the operational environment here at JRTC, which which has always been this way, right? Mm -hmm. it, we're constantly changing the operational environment, um, you know, going forward. I, I think right now, the way it's structured, it's really hard to operate command posts 
uh, in an urban environment in a way um, that I think you you can truly you know degree, achieve that degree of concealment as well as protection. Um, I think we got work we have work to do on the ops group side to doing that. I think units uh, will continue to learn how they can reduce their signature. Yeah. Uh, going forward. And yeah. I think that's something that clearly we're interested in doing. I mean, this this idea of the transparency of the battlefield, <clears throat> whether it's UAS or electromagnetic signature and all these things, yeah. um, you know, we're going to figure it out. Um, and, and I, you know, I think it's great. I mean, the 82nd comes down here and tries stuff. Um, and I, in a, in a disciplined way, I mean, not, um, you know, I think ultimately y'all are going to be better for it. We've got a lot of lessons learned out of it that yeah. will uh, kind of analyze process and then feed back out into the force. Yeah. The vehicles uh, are the better. vulnerability, I think. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and th I mean, there's the the vehicle signature, at least for UAS, is the most obvious. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, there, there's been some... Uh, and we get we provided your team some of that feedback of what that looks like from uh, overhead imagery and things like that. And um, yeah, I think we just we got to educate, we got to help people see what they really look like, you know, when a UAS is flying overhead and and are you really concealed? And you know, it's it's funny. I think a lot of times like we're concealed from a ground scout, but we're not concealed from overhead, or or we're concealed from overhead, yeah. but we're not concealed from ground. And I think yeah. this is just education as our force continues to transition uh from from uh yeah. iraq afghanistan experience hey speaking of concealment yeah. if i could so we have the tcn lights now huge improvement over the old tcn systems um but it's uh the commercial off-the-shelf transport that we use the entire time yeah. and the bandwidth was huge and it's a non-military signature we, we, the TCN lights, and I only throw this out there because most, most of our contemporaries are operating off of TCN lights and they're fairly new to the force. The routers on it and the generator on it are huge, but the transport on it would have crippled us if we'd have used it. We never turned it on once we left. Uh, we turned it on to test systems with division, but it never, we never used the, uh, the antenna. Just, uh, it was interesting. We're just, we're making leaps forward with, a lot of commercial transport right now in the 82nd Airborne Division. I think it's the way we're going. Yeah, and I mean, I know, you know, there's a lot of folks across uh, the enterprise that are really interested in what we're doing. And, you know, I mean, I think it's just, this is part of the modernization effort of, okay, where do we really want to be uh, in in five years? Where do we need to be in a year? Right. Um, and I think there'll be trade-offs, you know, people above us will, will make decisions based on risk. Um, and a whole host of different kinds of risk. Um, and I don't think it'll be the same for every formation, at least for, for the near term. Right. Un until we sort of sort through some of this. But it's an exciting time to be doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, opportunities um, abound uh, for improvement. Um, hey, so, you know, improvements. Uh, what... From your perspective, what was RSY like for your team last April? Because I got views on this on this one. I mean, what? How how did you feel RSY went last uh, rotation? Yeah, inbound RSO and I. Yeah. Um, this will be like another communications conversation. So you know, running railhead and and running through the paces of you know the your your logistics network sort of getting everyone set. 
I probably was comparable last time. The stark difference is this time we paid out of pocket for a box truck to bring in the most critical communications equipment so that we could immediately start um, mating our systems with the division's yeah. communications backbone. Last time, the most critical communications equipment was on a truck that got stuck somewhere. That's not awesome. No, <laughs> no. And, it was that, and that was a huge contributor to a lot of our concerns. So to me, um, what, what, we, what really unlocked our potential to create our own luck was two things. One is we got the combo stuff on the ground early and got it all set. The second is we started from a playbook. Our first operation, the JFE, you know, in the 82nd Airborne Division, we have a playbook for these ops. And, we, and the order's almost, it's all but written uh, because of that. And so we just started off on the right foot, which created a lot of luck for us in the yeah. first several days of the op. No, I mean, I think that <clears throat> the command emphasis on communication, like how we did that, whether it's, you know, getting the right equipment in with the right people at the right time. Ultimately, those are command decisions. Mm -hmm. That set the tone uh, for the reception staging onward integration of the brigade. Yeah. And, you know, you and I've talked a lot about this before. I mean, that's how you all made your own luck. You know, I, I got the opportunity to see you before you came, you know, over at Bragg. And you could, you could tell the team, just even as you were preparing and executing outload, it was an operation. Mm -hmm. And then so that translates, we get here and it's an operation. Right. Um, and those become habits that we carry forward. Right. Um, <clears throat> in the DNA, the 82nd Airborne Division, just because of the uh, Global Response Force mission. But that's something that, you know, you, I hope that folks, you know, that guest OCT here that kind of see this, like that mindset is a huge part of, I think, being successful whether you're coming to deploying to a CTC or whether you're deploying into theater. Yeah. Right. Um, so the, the DNA thing came up another time in the rotation in the air assault. <laughs> so we have this sort of mindset or this belief that, Hey, if you can run green ramp and get to load time for an airborne operation, like you know how to organize people, you know how to take a mass of people that aren't yours and get it and get it going. So we think like, okay, so like we can run PZ posture. Morgan Freeman voice. In <laughs> fact, they could not run PZ posture. <laughs> well, That's not true. Well, but you know, the the night of the big air assault, it was painful. Yeah. Um, Let me jump in though for a sec. So one of the things I did appreciate, and I think like why we we're able to end up doing it. And you know, this is something that you and I are, I, we wanted to talk about later in this conversation was you came to me early in RSY and said, hey, I think this is a thing that we're right. not well-practiced in and going to need help in. <clears throat> yeah. And so between the Task Force Wolfpack, the Aviation Task Force, and then the Ops Group team, we're yeah. able to have the right people in the right place yeah. to help coach that. Yeah, and that's Versus like just observing failure. Yeah, and that, and <laughs> right? that's, that's what's cool is, you know, with the Ops Group, like, you know, as a commander, you know, like, hey, I can ask the Ops Group to sort of like, I'm not going to ask you to be in charge and spoon feed, but we're going to tell you like, hey, Padna, this is going to be rough. <laughs> so like, if you're a company us. commander listening, yeah. like just tell us, tell us what you're struggling with so we can help you. Right. Because that's, right. that's what we're, that's what we get paid to do. Right. Yeah, you did. Right. Yeah. And no, it was good. Uh, it was, it was definitely um, exciting, uh, but safe. <laughs> yeah. And, 
you know, well, okay. And then what happened? We got to do it again. Well, yeah. we went up to peace. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, it was night and day. Right. It was a smaller air assault when we were in the live fire phase, but, um, but we were way more engaged as, as a leader and, and I was in position for that air assault. I was yeah. out of position for the one that mattered most actually. Um, and this just comes with reps and training and understanding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought, I mean, PZ operations in the second one were a lot smoother leader. Yeah, but that's right. Like, you wouldn't take a, a commander in the 10th Mountain Division, you wouldn't take a 10th Mountain Brigade and say, hey, you know, you've done some air assaults. Why don't you go do a, an airborne assault? Right. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, yeah. No, I, it, it, uh, you know, the, the RSOI, I mean, haven't seen a lot of RSOIs between here and NTC. I thought it was really, really good um, RSOI. Um, you know, approach, especially having, you know, getting to integrate mm-hmm. a tank company, uh, Japanese contingent, right. Dutch contingent, yeah, which is, you know, it's just harder. And so, but it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, all right. So, Hey, for, for folks listening, we did our, uh, big after action review yesterday. Um, Colonel Kleisner and I spent like four hours prepping for this thing, uh, in two separate conversations and it was a ton of fun. Um, and we focused the, the after action review really on, um, decision-making Yeah, and it was one of the things, you know, right. When we talked before the rotation, you were really interested. So do you want to elaborate on sort of, well, you know, the bottom of your slides, it says right here, right. America's leadership laboratory, right? So let's talk about the, I like, by the way, I like to think of them as our slides. That's right. (laughs) That's right. So we are the leadership laboratory. We are the leadership laboratory. What happens in the box that is just pure leadership, right? Um, You know, purpose, direction, motivation, absolutely. But like the hardest things that are happening out there at any given time and all the time are the decisions that are getting made. Some of them are no-brainers. But everyone in the brigade who's a commander, and even many that are not, they're walking around North Fort right now mentally drained from decision fatigue. I mean, it is nonstop. Um, and so I, I, I thought, it, you know, a lot of people have different opinions on the IS feed, but I, I put a lot of value in it. Um, and at least it's like a, it's a good, great talking piece, right? Because every commander out there has those three or four decisions that were the epic decisions of the rotation. And what we wanted to do is coax those out. Um, the IS feed helped kind of feed the conversation, but like, let's talk about how we make decisions at the moment that the decisions have to be made. Because um, what the CG had a great point about, don't let the results drive the conversation. Rewind to the moment the decision got made. What did you know at that moment? What was reasonably knowable and not perhaps not known to you? And how did you as a commander make that decision intuitively by yourself? Or how did you make it analytically by incorporating your staff. And so that's what we unpacked yeah. and, and you know, really got the conversation going on. Um, because I think that's, I, you know, like you said, I've been to a few of these CTC rotations and we've discussed the slides to talk about whether or not the log stat got in on time. And there's like an important conversation going on there. But when you, when you start pulling apart how commanders make decisions and how their staffs and subordinates are or are not a part of the decision process, you're really you're really getting into the essence of the leadership that's happening here in the in the laboratory. Yeah, and I, like 
Uh, I mean, I think that's a higher <clears throat> level conversation that's got to be informed really by an acknowledgement that the foundational things matter. Right. Right. Um, you know, the, the log stat, if we can't acknowledge that the log stat's important, then we probably can't put ourselves in a position to have a higher conversation about like how do we Fair. make decisions. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the, you know, and I, the other one, I mean, the, the platoons and squads fought really well. Mm -hmm. I mean, like really, really well. Um, so then we're not talking about, yeah. frankly, a lot of noise. We are, you know, get these. Right. That's these the really, goal. Yeah. That's the goal is the to goal. show up at the JRTC with a unit that is prepared to perform in a way that in the AARs you're having the conversations that you really want to have. No one wants to come here and walk away and be like, you know, we never really talked about fighting. Yeah. Right. No, we you, talked about the battle rhythm when we talked about MDMP. Yeah. People like no one ever talked about why did you go left when you could have gone right? Like that battle was awesome, except you went left. But now we're having these conversations. Yeah. We got to in a, in a, we got to be in a place that the reason that we succeed or fail is off decision making, not off like inability right. to execute right. very for, fundamental for things. want of some basic stuff. Yeah. You we're doomed already, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah, before you stepped off, we knew this was going to be. Right. Yeah. And um, no, I, I thought it was really good. I mean, I thought, um, you know, the, you know, we had a really good conversation about what condition setting really is um, and the decision-making behind that condition setting, um, particularly when it got to, um, you know, the science behind getting suppression and obscuration in the fight and then commanders making the decision right. of whether or not that's been effective. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and reflecting on that conversation yesterday was, you know, the understanding that, okay, if we're making that decision at the, like, at the company level or at the battalion level, as we saw, mm -hmm. it's going to have massive impact to the brigade. Right. Yeah. All, all the, you know, and this is why I'm a huge fan. You know, I, it, maybe it took until Brigade Command to really, really get it. Multi-echelon training, right? Everyone should train in an environment that exposes to them how your decisions and actions scale up in a good way or a bad way. Because when you take a company and say, we're going to do company exivals, this is an example. And we say, we're going to put you in isolation where here's your attack lane, here's your movement to contact lane, and here's your defense lane, right? And it's just, it's uh, the company is an island unto itself, right? You don't get that. Um, but in multi-echelon training, you see how you get this prism effect where it was just, you know, a minor oversight at the company level, but it, yeah. uh, it had determinant impacts on brigade level ops. Well, I'm going to flip that too, right? Like, you know, this brigade thing, by the way, is pretty hard if you're not tracking. Um, yep. And that will have downstream effects to companies. Right. Like the reality is at the company that's level, even, you're going to have to solve that's problems. That's even the better the point, right? Because it's brigade. not, yeah, the story isn't how companies, batteries, and troops victimize the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite, right? Yeah. You know, like, well, you know, the war game could have put out that, um, put out that really refined targetless worksheet, but is that really a big deal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's huge, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's, uh, you do see, I mean, you, and, you know, the big part of this, you know, came back uh, in this fight was, you know, companies um, doing fundamentals well, 
making good decisions, either uh, leading up and influencing their higher headquarters with the bottom-up refinement, or really fighting well to put the battalion and the brigade in a position to, to, to close holes in the swing of the battalion and brigade level. Um, and then the, you know, the, the inverse of that is where the brigade and the battalions put companies in a, in a position where you know, we're really stacking the deck in their favor to be right. successful. Right. Yeah. Um, I thought the dialogue yesterday showed both of those, mm-hmm. um, you know, g- successes and, and challenges right. uh, up and down. Uh, and I'm with you in the multi-echelon. I mean, this is where we learn how to fight, um, you know, w- with with our decisions uh, having impacts. That's right. To, to adjacent units yeah. and higher headquarters. Yeah, and leaders, leaders have to come to the table ready to, to bear all of their decision making and be and be totally cool just like you know what i missed it boss right um and that's not that's it's easier said than done i think yeah but you know people will get into the habit if you if it's always in your aars and in your training people will have fun dissecting that when they know that they're in a safe place to do it yeah right? well, that's what commanders have to do is create that vibe well yeah i mean i thought yesterday that you know the first vignette you let out with uh, hey, I made this decision. It probably wasn't the right decision, and it was probably a little bit late. And this right. is the impact it had, and it it really opened the door for everybody to right. talk. Yeah, this is goes back to that podcast we were talking about. Yeah, right. The Annie Duke, the famous gambler podcast. I think it's called "Getting Better by Being Wrong." Right. Yeah. You know, she, you know, she, one of the great quotes in that it's something like, "We all have to come from a place of." that our thoughts and beliefs, and I'd say for us tactically, are always under construction, right? And you don't come to the table to have a conversation about your bad beat story about how bad luck is the reason you lost or the reason you won is because you're so good, right? You have to be willing to get inside the decisions that you're making and unpack them and find ways to improve them. And that comes from a place of humility, but it comes from a place where the organization's like saying, hey, you're in this safe spot here. We're like, if, if you're not secure enough to talk about these things with humility, then that's actually an indictment on you. Well, I mean, you know, something Joan Gardner said yesterday, right? Like the, you know, the, <clears throat> the, you know, the team that wins, uh, but really wins with a bunch of flaws and, and is unable to see the flaws. It's like, right. It's usually dangerous. The easy win that was never analyzed. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, you know, we talked a lot. I mean, Joel Leneve talked about it. You know, you talk about winning. I mean, you got to win bad enough that you're like, don't want to hear about any of the good things that happened. You just want to focus on all the bad things yeah. that happened, like even when you won. Right. And um, and I thought, yeah, I thought, you know, yesterday in the AR, I mean, that was certainly the case. Like we had a bunch of successes, but that's not where you spent your time. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, what is our profession's version of studying tape? Yeah. Right. I think we, this came up in our last podcast, but like, you know, to a degree here, it's the IS feed. But no matter the case, it's always the AAR, right? The, the AAR is how the military studies tape. Like you have to immerse yourself in, in the awesomeness of that. I think it's fun. I think it's, a, well, I, I mean, that was, a, 
probably my favorite part of the rotation was just going through hmm. prepping for this AR. Yeah, I yeah. wonder if your staff was like, it's <laughs> yeah, they weren't as excited. Twenty two hundred. No, but uh, you know, to your point, I mean, um, you know, I talk about this with OCTs. I mean, I think the two things that OCTs um, have to come with that maybe aren't intuitive. Like the the intuitive is okay. You have to be you know, doctrinally sound. Yeah. Um, but the, the the unintuitive is the, the first one is I think you got to come with a tremendous amount of empathy, mm-hmm. right? Like this is like if you're if you're looking at like your counterpart and not empathetic to like man, this is like hard, right? Right? And this dude's having a rough day and that you know he did everything right and it still didn't go well, mm-hmm. right? Or he he did everything for the right reasons and tried really hard and it still didn't turn out. If you can't be empathetic to that, it's really I think hard to coach. And then I think the other is like humility. Because like for the grace of God, there go I. And like I, I like I look at, um, you know, I, I learned a lot this rotation. There was just things that you look at and like, wow, I hadn't thought about that that way. Or, okay, I got away with that one when I was a brigade commander. Right. Or man, he's struggling <clears throat> with that, and I struggle with that, and I still don't have like the answer for how to 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 get there on some of this stuff. Right. Because I think the the simple things are hard here. Exactly. Um, like rest cycles. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they all scale up, right? They yeah. aggregate. Yeah. Right. Um, we, that's what's tough, right? And we talk about um, Lieutenant Colonel Strand's great line about, you know, there's the space you've defended, you're transitioned, you're on the offense, but there's this easting out there, right, that you have to get to before you feel pretty confident that you're going to get to objective Subaru, right? And he calls that. The sketch zone. Yeah. Like, wait, <laughs> in the sketch. Waiting into the sketch, right? That's, you know, to me, that's that and the transitions that lead into and out of the sketch are really the source of anxiety for me at the JRTC. It's yeah. so tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the open phasing, but like Geronimo just, um, you know, the, the mode of... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, he has because he gets to do it every month. Yeah, he has a good feel um, for those transitions, and he maintains contact, but not enough con like enough contact for him to understand what you're doing, but not enough contact for right. you to understand <laughs> what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he keeps he intentionally tries to keep you at bay enough to give him room and space. Right to do what he wants to do. That's right. And you'd think that like a unit that's five times his size, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's four times his size, right? Should be the one dictating the terms. But, you know, we get so cumbersome in our transitions um, that ironically, that's not the case, right? And that's, that's, that's why I want to come back for a third time, right? I mean, no one wants to be miserable for 14 days and sleepless, but like, um, what I haven't seen in my two rotations at the brigade level is audacity, right? We've, we've had some good fights and we've made some good calls, but um, seizing and retaining the initiative seems to be something that G-ma, the G-man's always just really good at. Yeah, I, you know, listen, I thought when you all uh, attacking <clears throat> the Subaru, the Kofums were off, mm-hmm. um, I thought the decision to transition into a hasty defense was pretty gutsy. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't do that. A lot of people would try and go, you know, so, some folks would try and go through the motions like, well, they expect me to attack, so I'm going to attack. Um, right. I thought you guys transitioned in yeah. like in all in. I yeah. mean, 
you know, we had obstacles up within a couple hours. Defensive fighting positions were resyncing fires. The transition was an example of leaders in all the right places doing all the right things. Yeah. In in uh, you know a unit whose training and expertise and talent just created the luck. I, the decision to transition into the defense could be interpreted as a bold decision, but the reason I don't chalk it up in my head is because that decision was forced on me um, or I forced it on myself, right? We culminated, um, but we were able to turn that yeah. into, you know, you're going to culminate me? I'm going <laughs> to culminate you. Well, but, I mean, I think, you know, um, you know, Sergeant Major Hissong, I mean, Oscar and I talks about this, you know, and, and, and All-American 7, who was the COG, here before me, you know, it's like units that come here to like watch your units train, units that come here to train their units, or commanders that come here to train their units, commanders that come here to win. Mm -hmm. Like that decision was like commander coming here to win. Like, mm -hmm. okay, hey, I, you know, I don't like being in the position I'm in right now, but I'm gonna. Uh, this is how we're gonna turn it around. Right. Right. And we um, did. And that, like and, that, and that felt, right, that felt we, good. Yeah. We transitioned the defense to enable us to get back on the offense. Yeah. Um, in fact, the enemy's attack against our defense pulled so much out of Sagacite that we went in there unopposed, kind of like Sun Tzu would have us do. Yeah. <laughs> that was all Andy Harris, that wasn't it? Yeah. No, it's, it, and it's good. And, that, and, you know, and I think that that's, you know, organizations that learn faster in combat are the ones that are going to win. Mm -hmm. And uh, definitely uh, the Devil Brigade is an organization that learns faster in combat. A uh, ton of fun uh, having you here. And, Likewise. Uh, and, and learning yeah. Great team, uh, with you and beside you. Teamwork between our yeah. teams, for sure. All right. Look forward yeah. to seeing you back here again. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash l-i-n-k-t-r dot ee forward slash jrtc we'd like to thank our partners at the center for army lessons learned of the combined arms center especially the jrtc call observations detachment be sure to follow them on social media as well follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www dot army dot mill forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.